Before we get going this week, I thought I'd just remind you that I'm a certified business strategist who's been in property for over 25 years. I know my clients shortcut their success by being laser focused through strategy and mentoring, as no one business model fits us all because funding, geography, skill set, it all plays a part in deciding what works for you. Getting it wrong can definitely damage your wealth. If you're serious about property, then your first step is a call with me. Nothing more difficult than following the link in the show notes to book it. This is the Property Solopreneur podcast and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. My guest today is unusual because she's a practicing property professional working as an investor and sourcer in a world full of successful amateurs. Not only that, but she specializes in commercial property, and that's all sorts of commercial, not just commercial to residential projects, which is what most of us talk about. She's by trade a surveyor, but unlike so many that we investors and developers meet during our work, she's totally on board with how to make long-term wealth through property because she does it for herself. Natasha is a very good role model. You know, she's put into practice the knowledge she has and is constantly on the lookout for new exciting opportunities both for herself and her investors, through the systems that she's built up. And I particularly like the fact that she doesn't limit herself to trying to grow the size of her business through growing the size of her deals. No, she looks at each individual deal on the income it will bring in and the return on investment, rather than using a valetry matrix. As with so many other successful property people that I've interviewed, Natasha's had a very clear plan as to what she wants to achieve, how she's going to action this, the timescales involved, and this clarity of purpose extends to the financial side of the investment too. Everything's been thought out and is working. But above all, actually, I was drawn to interview Natasha because she clearly absolutely loves what she's doing in property and gets enormous fun and joy out of everything she does. Natasha, welcome to The Property Solopreneur. Thank you so much for having me. One of the things that I do like and want to have you on here today is that you, you've got to pick up every opportunity that comes your way and you've done that, yeah, haven't you? definitely. If someone says to you, do you want to give something a try? The answer is yes. Always yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely yes. Now, unlike most people who come on podcasts to do with property, you are a professional property person, aren't you? Because you've got letters after your name. I do. I have an awful lot of letters after my name. But the one that's important for this podcast is the MRICS. So I'm a chartered surveyor. Absolutely. And, th and that actually, it's a very rare species. We all use them all <laughs> the time. But most never, ever buy investment property, no. do they? No, because it's a risk averse. So what makes you different? I was told a very young age this hashi you're never going to have a pension that's it if you work in corporate you're never going to have a pension so 
just bear that in mind and then look at how good you are at property and managing other people's portfolios and everything you do for them. Go do it for yourself. And I then realized really early on in my property career that nothing in property is linear. And something that happens on someone's property doesn't necessarily happen on another person's property. And we can be quite innovative and still make everything work. And so once you let go of that fear that everything is about to collapse on you, (laughs) all of a sudden you've got carte blanche to do what you want. And especially with commercial property, which is where I specialize in, we get to change things. And the commercial property industry changes so regularly anyway. What mistake are you going to make? Absolutely. That is the most difficult thing, I think, to get over to newbies in the industry because they've come from places, backgrounds where there's always an ops manual. You know, if this happens, then you do the following. Whereas with properties, about answering questions and solving problems, isn't it? So there's usually not quite a fit for what you're experiencing. But you, you've also, unlike many people, actually taught people at university. And one question I was absolutely dying to know is, Is the theory different from reality? Yes, 100%. 100%. And that's one of the reasons I don't university lecture at the moment is because I felt like I wasn't able to teach the common sense approach of actually here's what we would do in this situation. And I like using the theory is important. You need the theory. You need that knowledge. But the theory and the knowledge is a structure, but it's not the be-all and end-all. So if these are the rules of the game, great, we've got the rules, but how do you apply the rules in a situation? And that's what you're never told. And so you get to make that decision as to how you use them. So if you're within these parameters, great, and those are the rules, that's the legislation, that's what's going to happen. Fabulous. You can negotiate on that how you want. So that bit I found really hard to communicate. It's the common sense thinking and then it's the thinking outside the box and it's the innovation because that's what makes you money, not knowing the theory. The theory supports that, but it doesn't get you to that next level. And that's why there are so many people you come across in property who've never had a a moment's property tuition in their lives and you're doing terribly well. And others who've who've had so many hours of tutoring, you 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 think, my goodness me, and yet they still haven't bought their first property. Yeah, and I don't under, I don't understand that either because if you've decided you want to be a property investor, then why not just be a property investor, right? You can have that training, absolutely. But, <laughs> but I just don't. <laughs> you know, and, and for me as a professional, I need that training, right? You then no one yeah. just hands you. MRICS status. You have to go through rigorous, rigorous training. You have to be show that you've got all this professional experience. You've got to show that you know the theory, and that's great because that's what gets you insured, right? So that's the baseline yes. stuff. But on top of that, when you're actually dealing with clients, my clients never ask me like, "So what did you learn at university?" <laughs> and how does that? I like, no one's ever asked me that, right? But they just trust that I have that, and then I've got the knowledge on top. So. It's the knowledge on top that allows you to buy things. Absolutely. And of course, one thing I think, though, is fairly safe to say is that your first purchase was not commercial, was it? Was it, it was a residential, Notting Hill. Notting Hill, yeah. Bought back in 2011, bought a top floor flat in 
on the Harrow Road in Notting Hill. It was a grimy area at the time, but I had a budget of £200,000 and I found it. And I actually really liked the area, even though it was a bit kind of hit or missed. My boss at the time had said to me, Natasha, if you buy in London, it has to be within five minutes of a train station in zones one or two. Don't buy anywhere. Oh, yes. And so that was what I was looking for. I was looking for something that I could afford for £200,000 within five minutes of a train station. My word. Well, you set yourself quite a a, task. um, (laughs) Yes, a torn order there, but you found it. And do you still own it? Yes, I do. Um, today it's worth £350,000. So that's quite a nice little increase, isn't it? it? It is indeed. It is. So how did you get from there to finding your niche in commercial? Well, I the, the two don't don't go hand in hand at all. I actually They don't, no. no <laughs> they don't. So I fell into being a commercial surveyor. And at university, after I had spent all of my money gone so far into my overdraft I couldn't afford anything anymore that's the point where you talk about the bankruptcy I wasn't declared formally bankrupt but I have no but you still had no no money money to my name so I started work as a letting agent in my third year of my undergrad degree and I negotiated my way out of pretty much all my all my lectures one thing I'm very good at is rearranging my time so that I can do the things I want to do so I planned all of my lectures my third year on a Monday morning. Um, and so I wouldn't work on a Monday, but I had to get myself out of my debt situation. And a local letting agent took me on and I started working in there and got some clients and all was going fine. And one day a chap came into the office and uh, he wanted to let a property, couldn't let the, couldn't find something, but we sat there and we were chatting and he was a surveyor and he was telling me about what he did. And I was like, that's really interesting. I've been applying for all these graduate jobs. I haven't got them. And he said, okay, um, fine. He said, well, if you need money, do you want to babysit my kids? And I was like, yeah, I do. Because I need money desperately. <laughs> my mom was so frustrated. She said, don't go to weird men's houses and babysit their kids. Like, that's so strange. I was like, no, mom, I need the money. I did it. Um, I babysat their kids a couple of times. And afterwards, he said, Natasha, do you want to be a surveyor? I was like, what? He said, can you go and do research being a surveyor? I think you've got the the common sense for it. And I was like, okay, I don't know what a surveyor is. He said, for the next week, do the research on being a surveyor and text me and tell me if you if that would be of interest to you. It's like, okay. So, well, yeah, what have I got to lose? Okay, I'd like to try being a surveyor. He said, great, my friend's got a job in London. Do you want to go to an interview on this day? And I said, I do, but I'm going to go traveling in America for a bit. He's like, fine. I went to this interview. I got that job. And the boss that I worked for said, when you're back from America, come and work for me and I'll train you how to be a commercial surveyor. And that was you. Yes. Your future was mapped out. My future was made. <laughs> Absolutely. And But it does strike me that, you know, there is uh, a definite type of person who likes investing in commercial, isn't there? It's a di- slightly different way of doing it. And it's not as no- well known as either, is it? Definitely not as well known. And everybody thinks it's far more risky than residential. There's pros and cons to each. Commercial has a lot less regulation behind it. It's uh, far more, you go in there and you're governed by the 1954 Act in England and Wales. Oh, that's a while ago. I know, right? Um, (laughs) I think people just don't see it because you, you generally, the way that things go is, 
you know, you grow up, you want to buy a house, you buy a house, so you know how that process works. So you feel more comfortable with doing that when you're investing. And so the thought of buying commercial just seems so alien because it's not something that you would do unless you sort that out. You know, a lot of, okay. a lot of people <clears throat> can become accidental residential landlords as well. It's, it's rarer to find someone who's become an accidental commercial landlord without their parents kind of saying to them, look, I'm building this commercial property portfolio. And that's the only difference. Everything else in terms of commercial property, really, when you think about the purchasing process, it's the same. You go through the same inquiries. It takes the same length of time. The lending process takes the same. We're just looking at things slightly different. We're looking at a business rather than a someone's home. Aha, so absolutely. But is it more hands-off if you're an investor dealing with commercial property? Because you know, you're talking shops or something else. Somebody else has got to work their business in it normally, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. It really depends on what you're trying to do. For the most part, yeah, if, if you were to pick up a straightforward commercial property, for example, I own a property in Barnstable, North Devon, at 88 High Street. So anybody who's listened to this pod, England see it. I've never been there. Right. Right. <laughs> so I bought this property for £165,000 and it brings in £15,000 worth of income a year. It was, when I bought it, it was on a five-year lease for repairing and insuring. The tenant picks up all costs. So all I do is I collect the rental income on a quarterly basis and I pay my mortgage interest and that is that. Nothing else. It's a really great little earner. And actually the tenant's very lovely. We do email each other occasionally. I think I hear from that tenant once a quarter just to say, hi, Natasha, I've paid the rent. Um, the only other time I've, I've um, heard from him was last week when he said, Natasha, can I have a five-year lease extension? Of course you can. <laughs> you know? Yes, absolutely. Uh, what, uh, what exactly, what does he do? What, what excitement happens in there? A mobile phone repair shop. And we all need those, don't we? We, we all need those. So you can have investments like that, which, you know, they, that does better than some of my resi stuff, right? You know, and I don't have anything to do with it. And if there's any maintenance, tenants responsible. Yes, but somehow it seems very frightening to people, doesn't it? Because they're not in control. But, but the other thing is, is when we get to the end of the lease, what do we do six months before the end of the lease? We, we go and get a building surveyor and we say, can you go and do a schedule of dilapidations? Which basically means you go through it, you look at the conditions, the surveyor will say to you, this is what the tenant needs to do to put the unit back in order. You give that to the tenant and you say, either do the works or pay me the money. Oh, yeah, either or. Yeah. Um, and then put it back in order and you let it again. Now, the difference between commercial and residential is that we do budget for higher void periods. So we are looking at the moment in today's market of six to nine months. And that's what we budget for right. in any deal analysis. That can be scarier for people. And the fees to let are much higher. But the the reason being is because a letting agent is getting you a five-year lease as opposed to a one-year lease. Yep. Absolutely. So you'll pay so, it once five years. So that's that was a lovely. How did you come across that deal? Had it didn't just you didn't just have it ping into your inbox, presumably. Yes. <laughs> you <laughs> did. So, <laughs> okay. So you've obviously so you've obviously set things up. So how do you source your, no, your so, commercial? Because this is something that many people find totally fascinating. Okay. So in reality, with this one, again, with every time I. I 
go out to look for a property, I'm tending to be proving a point. And I know that is a ridiculous reason <laughs> to invest. So my strategy, my personal strategy is always, how can I push the boundaries of what's happening and do something to prove a point to my clients that it's actually possible? Right. So I decided that I wanted to buy something with a 9% plus yield with, I'm going to say no money down. This is not an available option anymore. I bought this uh -huh. property actually in 2021. Did I? Yeah, 2021, sorry. And the way that I did it was I took a... Okay, so first of all, how did I find it? All I have out is search alerts for properties in the UK that come up between an 8 to 10% yield. That was that. I had right. no no other agenda here. And then it was, I wanted to pick somewhere which was a secondary town, a secondary high street, where it was buzzing. There were things going on, but at the end of the day, it wasn't the best retail town. So I could get it at that 8 to 10% yield. Yep. I always need something with a train station. And then from there on out, for me personally, it has to be somewhere where someone I know can get to it because I don't live onshore. I don't live in the UK most of the time. I live in America most of the time. So if something terrible happens to the building, someone close by needs to be able to get it in event of emergency. So Barnstable kind of was in that was in that area. And I thought to myself, okay, now it's time to prove a point. I told my clients that I could buy a property with no, not having any cash in the bank. I didn't have any cash in the bank. And so the first thing was, is where do I have equity in the property? So I went and had a look at where I had equity in one of my properties. One of them did have equity and it needed a remortgage in three months time. That was lucky. We were just coming up, just, we were coming up to that. that yes, just these, these things happen, don't they? they? Yes. Um, yes, serendipity. Yes. I then thought, okay, well, I'm going to get second charge lending over that, that equity to see how it looks. And at the time, just cash flow gave me a cash flow facility so that I wasn't always paying money on it. I could just draw down yep. how much I wanted at the time that I wanted. So that was great. I got hold of that. I don't ca just cash flow. I don't even think we're in existence even more. And that's the difference in like 18 months to two years. But I used that. And then I got lending over the rest of it from Shawbrook uh -huh. and I bought it. And I wanted to prove a point that number one, you, you always could think about creative finance solutions which is a bit harder now since interest rates really have skyrocketed so that's not so much an option that's only 18 months apart but that there are lenders out there who will lend on these smaller deals because another big thing that rumor mill that seems to be going around at the moment is that lenders won't lend on the smaller deals they will they have an appetite for them still yep you've just got to make sure that you shop around for the right lender so that came about really simply Right move commercial, put your search requirements in, these things come up. I mean, it seems too simple. But it does, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask that question, because sometimes something very simple is what you should be doing. It doesn't always have to be terribly clever or complicated. That's why these systems exist, right? I mean, use them. If they're free to use, just use them. There's nothing clever about it. Absolutely. So, so what in your eyes, you know, makes a good deal because I know you have clients who you 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 source for and everything else. What makes you go, oh, that one's definitely on my radar. I might want to know more than that. Yes. See? Right. 
Okay, so I love anything where we can make a change in a town center. I yep. get really excited if there's multiple tenants and we can maneuver them around or there is ways in which we can extend the lease or do lease renewals. I like all that tactical stuff and I like bringing an area back into fruition. I think a lot of people are scared of that, whereas I feel very much that if, if you're innovative with a building and you can, and it's in an area where there's going to be demand and not necessarily yep. demand that there is at the moment, but there is demand because there's people living nearby and they're going to need services. That for me is exciting. So I get excited by that. Recently, uh, when I was in Bath the other week, I saw a big portfolio come on um, and they very rarely oh. come on, you know, for a couple of million pounds. Well, it's not big for Bath, but it was like, these things, the mixed use building does not come up that often. I was literally on the phone to the agent. It's like, get me in here. It's like two buildings, residential uppers, commercial ground floor. And one of the buildings is wholly commercial. I was like, show me around this building. I have got clients <laughs> like your hand off for this. And I and I went in there and the agent was the agent was like, Do you want me to show you around? I said, No. Went in the door. I was like, it's perfect. I have so many clients that are going to buy this from you. I said, but I've got the perfect client and they're going to buy it. In mind. <laughs> and he said, are you sure? I said, yes. And I was like, are you sure at the listing price? Because I'd been through the listing price and I was like, why aren't you asking any more for this? And I said, what's the problem? And I went through all their documents. There was no problem. They just wanted a fair price for it. And there's not as many people in that one to two million pound bracket. Yep. I think we've got ourselves a steal. An absolute steal. <laughs> like, of course we well, got I, I should, Yeah. I should think your your investor is a very happy person. Well, sure. And it's something that we get excited about because there's a flat in there that we can do up. All the flats are three and a half thousand square feet. What? What? Whoa. What that? Yes. <laughs> and there, so I can quite see because you're literally leaping out of I your chair stuff with like excitement. That. Yes. I mean, you know, you've got me all excited here, you know. And why wouldn't you just just go, stop the world. I've just got to do this. Yeah. Because there is so much going on and so many variants and you can enlarge things and make them smaller and, and different ideas of who your tenants are. This is stuff that's exciting and it's possibly actually why most people get into property and then lose somewhere along the way because they just start getting into the buying and selling and refurbing and everything yeah. else. So, you know, that, that, that was, thank you. That was a very exciting reason as to why, you know, you, you, how you find things for your clients and, yeah. and what they want. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you, and so I think the key takeaway is if you're an investor, buy the things that excite you. Yeah. Otherwise, it's boring. I mean, the boring stuff, the bread and butter stuff is fine, right? I have bread and butter stuff, whatever. But I want something that ultimately I'm excited to do deals with. And I want the yes. things that make me think, oh, in 10 years' time, I'll be able to do this. Or in 15 years' time, I'll be able to do this. So I'm always thinking at the future. And I'm like, so now, today, I can just leave this alone. I don't have to do anything with it. But, you know, in a couple of years' time, when I'm, I don't know, bored or what have you, then 
Absolutely. But it's also about knowing that behind, I always talk, because I always think that my single lets are very much the beating heart. Right. They just churn out the money happily, which is absolutely fantastic because that allows me to do everything else. And as you say, you get an excitement, which for me at the moment is still uh, the wedding venue that we're put, we're, we've just yeah. got up and running, which of course has inevitable all sorts of teething problems and things you have to do and problems yep. you have to solve. But it's the stuff that you, the ordinary stuff that you can just easily add to, which makes sure that the bills are being paid and allows you basically to go and have your flights of fancy, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So you've got a very structured company with some fabulous people who work with you, don't you? I do, yeah. Um, How did you find them? Because this is something, again, people in property go, oh, I can't really go into business with someone because I don't know them well enough or it's a bit of a risk. You clearly have found people you love working with right so again i own nc real estate outright nc real estate's mine (laughs) i've made bad business decisions in fact at the end of april i got out of a bad business decision with someone that i had gone 50 50 in business with and the business failed around 2017 and we only just got out of it right so i'm not doing that again nc real estate my firm is surveyors I have built slowly since around 2017 and my team uh, predominantly were students who I taught at university who then after university, after they finished would come to me and say, hey, Natasha, you know, loved like the lectures that you did. did could I come on board in your, in your company? But also I choose people who are innovative and who just bring a sense of charisma and excite- excitement to the team. And my team are all under 40 years old. And, right. Yeah, all of them. And we have a lot of younger mums and younger people who've just been in the industry and we're doing it differently. Yes. Because we see things about property that other people don't necessarily see. And they've been in this confine of, you must do it this way. And actually, that's not how we operate. We don't. We look at all of the possibilities and then we brainstorm with each other and we think, does anybody else have a better idea of how to do this? You know, so I actually love the newer surveyors who've come on board with us because they don't have any of that background conditioning where they've seen it before. So they could no, they're 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 still completely excited by everything, and and excitement is is very very infectious, isn't it? Right, and that's what we need. You know, you need people to come and challenge the system and say. Actually, Natasha, can you look at it this way? Of course I can. Of course I can. I'd love yeah. to. So um, that's how I've, been, I've founded my firm based upon uh, people who really care about the industry, people who love property and what it can do. And of course, I've got very experienced surveyors as well. I like knowing what they've worked on before and how they can bring that to the table. But, you know, NC Real Estate really is founded on what, innov- how, what innovative solutions can we find? Absolutely. And... The initiative also is in what you're looking for to buy, because I know you've bought a red telephone box, haven't you? I have, yeah. Which I just think is so out there. I mean, wow, what fun. <laughs> and what fun is is actually a guiding principle in my life. If it's not right. fun, I'm not really going to do it. So, you know, I've been terribly excited to know what you've been doing with it. Okay. So <clears throat> the reason I bought a telephone box, firstly, is because a lot of my clients are SAS pension holders. And they always said to me, Natasha, you're a business owner, why don't you have a SaaS? And I'm 
you know, going back to those years ago when I was told, don't, don't you're never going to have a pension. I never even thought about it. And so <clears throat> through a bit of FOMO, I decided that <laughs> I was going to open a SAS. This is not financial advice, anybody. I can't. No, no, but this, this is absolutely. But this is what you did. This is what I've done. So I opened this SAS and I thought, I haven't got any money in here. (laughs) I was like, but what can I buy? What can I buy that's really, really cheap and commercial property wise and put it in my SAS? And I thought, I know I'm going to buy a telephone box because I'd seen loads of them floating around. So I transferred... 12 grand into my SAS and I was like all right I've got 12 grand where can I buy a telephone box so it's just like looking you know what you do when you get sucked through rabbit holes late at night and yeah you know (laughs) that was me and I found a telephone box for sale in London for 11,200 pounds it was in the city but in this really quiet location in between a couple of buildings I thought yeah right why not you know, I could, I could buy this book, this telephone box and nothing come of it. And what have I got? A telephone box in my SAS that my son at some point will get a note from a solicitor who will say, just an FYI, somewhere you've inherited this telephone box. Yes, so a telephone box. It's a great joke. Great joke, right? I'm not normally that flippant with money, but I thought, you know what? We can do something here. <laughs> So I'd also been looking at a couple of other telephone boxes in and around London. But every time I tried to offer on them, the agent would just come back and say, no, you know, the oh. the landlord wants £15,000. The landlord wants £20,000. And so I said that I've got £12,000. Which one can I buy? I don't care at this point. I'm just going to make a go of it. So they came back and they said, you can have this one in the city. I was like, fine, send me the contracts. I'll buy it. They sent me the contracts for a telephone box in Russell Square. No. Yeah. Russell Square. Yeah. Fab. So I was like, I'll find those contracts, but you said I could buy it for this much money. So, all right. So sign the contract, sent it back. And they said, thank you. And then I sent an email back and I was just like, I said, because I'm always transparent and honest. I said, just an FYI, yeah. you sent me the wrong contract. So I've just signed contracts on a telephone box that you said that I couldn't have unless I gave you £15,000 for it. And the agent, the agent phoned me up and said, Natasha, you can have that telephone box. Let's just not talk about it. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now yeah. that's, that, was, that was a taking action moment. Let's do this. Yeah. Yes. So now I've got a telephone box outside 148150 Southampton Row. So that's on Russell Square. And so what do we do with it? Um, I had to have it cleaned out it was gross in there people had been putting whatnot through the broken glass so I had that cleaned out yep the broken glass fixed then inside we've set I've set it up as retail space so it's got uh, baskets and shelves and that kind of stuff but in the interim whilst I didn't know how to let it I rent it out as my business so nc real estate lets it off of my SaaS for 80 pounds a month of advertising space so you can see all of our hoarding up there at the moment it's got qr codes for free commercial resources and it's got a telephone number on it right the funny thing about that story is i wanted it all set up for the last members club live event that i did in london for my clients and when we sent the vinyl chap out to put the vinyls on our telephone box he broke into the wrong telephone box and put our vinyls on the other telephone box, right? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, they were like, no, oh, no, wrong telephone box. <laughs> I was like, but I've yeah. got the key for the other telephone box. I was like, oh, so now we're in possession of oh. neighbouring telephone box. So he came back, put the, put the uh, vinyls on our actual telephone box, and now I ha- I'm in possession of two telephone boxes. So... This is me also saying, if anybody listens who knows who the neighbouring telephone box is, we have your keys. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in fact, it's someone. So that's where we left it. And then um, an agent has now walked past it and got in contact with us because all of our signage is on the outside of it and said, Absolutely. can we rent it? We've got tenants who would rent it and they want to rent it for $1,500 a year. Perfect. Absolutely. So we'll see what comes of that. Uh, that's in my inbox to deal with after this podcast recording. So we'll see. But overall, I've spent around about £15,000 with the purchase, the agency fees and doing all whatnot. So if if I get 1500 a year, that's a 10% yield for a three by three in central London. Why wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. And, and also, you know, there are many people who can afford to buy in Russell Square. Exactly. But you've done it. Ari, uh, it's an amazing address. Yeah, isn't it, right? <laughs> so, so absolutely. And absolutely. But that that is phenomenal. But um, not all of us can can sadly buy uh, a, a telephone box just when we want. And particularly for someone starting out right at the beginning. Mm. Is there one little tiny piece of advice that you would give a newbie who's just going, okay, what do I do? Property is so huge. Where do I start? Yeah, I would. So... One thing that's happening right now, and this is a shift that we've just seen over the last quarter, all the best deals are going to auction. And the auction houses are again flooded with commercial deals. All SOPs are running next week and they've got over 200 deals going, which we haven't seen for a long time. So my starting place would be if you really want to do commercial property, you want to get into it quick, auctions are the way to go. And you can get extended deadlines on commercial property because it does take a little bit longer to get the finance in place if you're not using, if you are going to be using finance. So that's the, that's the starting place. In terms of location, if you're starting out within an hour and a half of your house, I think is easy. Then mm-hmm. pick pick towns around you where you can see that something is, uh, a location is getting better. Right. It's on the up. Yeah, it's on the up, but it doesn't have to be, you know, this year it's going to be on the up. It's There's money flowing into it over the course of the next five to 10 years. Maybe you want to yep. start getting in on that. So do a bit of research, pinpoint some towns that you would like to invest in. You can start in commercial property for as little as you want. I mean, I've just told you about the telephone box, which was 12,000. Or no, it was 11,200 pounds, right? Yeah. There are smaller commercial properties that do hit the market. You know, for £55,000, you can get retail unit with the uppers and you've got lease that lasts for the next couple of years and you're getting £6,000 a year in. You could start there. You can. And I think it's because so many people are just don't know enough that they get worried by it. But, um, you know, clearly, clearly it's a case in the same way that many people just go buy their first residential. You've just got to get going, actually, haven't you? And that's a really easy way of getting going because if it's all commercial, great, 55 grand, six grand, six grand coming in, um, perfect. If the worst comes to the worst of one of those, what are you going to do? You're going to turn it into residential and let it out and you'll let it out for the same amount of money, you, you know, or maybe a bit more. 
Yes, particularly if it's, it's got an attached flat or something, because people just close their minds to it all the time, don't they? Yeah. And that would that would be very much where I start. Pick a okay location, somewhere with a little bit of demand, you know, there's footfall that goes past it, so people walking past it, maybe there's a bus stop or, you know, there's parking. And then experiment. Experiment because commercial property trends change every five years anyway. So what works today was not going to work in five years' time. And you're never going to be ahead of that. It's not as if you're ever going no. to get property perfect because it never there's always something that goes wrong. Always. And it will hit you out of left field on the property that you thought was the easiest. Yes. Yes. So, and, well, and I think that's a very, very much a guiding moment to remember, isn't it? There will something will always appear from somewhere and take you by surprise. But if that's if you know that's gonna happen, then you'll be going, Oh, there's my surprise. I better deal with it. Yeah. Exactly. And it's it's normally completely different from what you imagine the worst case scenario to be. <laughs> Absolutely. And talking about worst case scenarios and everything, you know, do you have you know your plan? Have you got a big audacious goal that you're going to do? You've got the next twenty years mapped out in your in in on a piece of paper somewhere, or is it you're just so enjoying it so much you're going with the flow? Um, do I have a big audacious plan within the next ten years? I'd like to have all my mortgages and all my debt paid off. Yep. That, that is, makes you so. I, yeah, I, I like that too. Yes. There's quite a few of us now who are liking that idea. Mm. And the reason being is that it's all well and good whilst I'm young to have huge debt. But at some point, I'm sure there will come a point where I'm not as passionate about property as I am now and don't always like getting on planes as much and probably want an easier life. And so I want to have that backstop for it so that by the time I'm in my mid 40s, that's kind of, I can make that choice or not make that choice. You know, chances are I pay off my mortgages and I re leverage, but I want that option. Absolutely. And also, when you have paid it off and you suddenly see something new that you want to do, it is so easy just to go, oh, just put that one under a, you know, yeah. uh, you know, sign that one away for a few minutes and then it all happens again and then you pay it down again. And it's very simple. It means you can always, you've always got access to whatever amount of money you want. Correct. Absolutely lovely. Correct. Um, and you, I mean, my idea of hell, having really enjoyed doing everything that I've done in property, is to spend days and days and days looking at remortgage paperwork in 20 years' time. I can't think of anything more dull, frankly. It takes the fun out of that, isn't it? Mm, um, I agree. Whereas, <laughs> you know, it... it it's the aftertaste if you've had all the fun 10 years ago and now you've got to go, oh, the remortgage again. No, I want it all paid off and then you've got, you can do whatever you like. Okay. You know, if you never have, if you never have to touch it again and you just watch, open your bank statement every month and go, oh, look at that. That is, that, yes. honestly, that makes me smile at just the thought of it, frankly. Yes, that's just, that's where I want to get to. I, I mean, do I have... Do I have any grander plans than that? Well, it always, it will. For me, my property portfolio is efficiency over quantity. I need yep. quality properties. Quite frankly, I'm not out there to measure how many properties I've got versus other people, how many properties they've got. I've, I've, and that for me has always been consolidate and keep the best and get rid of the stuff that doesn't perform as well yep. I don't mind selling things I know that a lot of people are hoarders they hoard property for me I'd, it 
isn't that important. No, I always say, uh, you know, if you've never sold anything, how do you know you're doing the properties right to the market you hope eventually going to get them if you sell them? Because, right. you know, you can, there is a difference between what a mortgage surveyor wants to see and what the buyer wants to see if you're going to flip, for instance. And so therefore, if you've done one or two flips or you've sold your dogs as you as you go through, you know you're right on target. You're doing absolutely what the market wants and you're achieving. Right. Yes. I, selling is good. <laughs> Yeah, I have no, I have no issue with it. Once you've done what you want to do, get rid. Some of them keep. You know, I've always, I like buying properties in locations that I like to go on holiday. Right. That's that. That's always a good, good one. That one, yeah. So that's a bit that won't ever be sold. But the rest of them, you know, I can give or take. And really, what I want to focus on is being a great business owner. Because being a business yes. owner and a surveyor, there's a lot of lessons that have to be uh, learned on the business side, which I really enjoy, whereas the surveying side is the the kind of the bit that I find really easy. And so I really, I like having a simple portfolio so that I can concentrate on my business and other people's portfolios. Absolutely. Because of course, actually what people do forget so much is that it's a property business and there's no good just concentrating on the property bit. The business is where the money can all roll away if you're not really, really careful. Um, and that is so vital to get right. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, it can be seen as you know the poor relation, but my word, it absolutely makes a difference, doesn't it? Well, thank you so much for being able to spare time to talk to us today. You know, we could talk for hours, you know, but I only have a, a small time slot uh, available. But it's been absolutely fantastic, particularly since you work in commercial. And I know that's a great interest to so many people at the moment. Lots of toes are in all the networking idea of being dabbled in the commercial world. Um, there is the scope there at the moment to do almost money down deals if you have a really good broker who's on side and has a mind like yours. Correct. Where's the fun? What can we do? How can we do it differently? Which is great. So thank you very much. Now, how do people find you on social media or whatever? Okay, so you can email me, natasha at ncrealestate.co.uk. The website address is ncrealestate.co.uk. On Instagram, either you can follow our company, which is at ncrealestatelimited. Or you can follow me, which is at Natasha C. Collins. And you can also listen to my podcast, which is the Honest Property Investment Podcast. That's right. And um, does it come out weekly or monthly? What's it? Um... Every Tuesday morning. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure I, I know that my listeners often sort of stop and then immediately go down the rabbit hole. Where is she? Where do I find her? So thank you very much for letting me do that. But again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist. If you found my stories inspiring and my content useful, then come find out more about my mentoring and strategy sessions by going to www.racheltroughton.com and book a discovery call with me. The banner link is on every page. Come and create and grow your own property business. That's the shortcut to success.